Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. So where are you in the world right now? I'm at home, and this is my little office space, um, which is in a, uh, used to be one of the girls' bedrooms, and um, now is, uh, when when Joshua moved into his own apartment, Grace moved across the the house um, into her own room with her own bathroom, and so this is part of a Jack and Jill and now it's a little TV room and they have their gaming stuff in here and I have my little workspace and it works. That's great. That's great. I moved out of my bedroom and into this one. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) That happens when you, which is all COVID, right? Yeah. Right. What happens when your kids move on to, you get a little more space. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Um, we still have three in the house, though, so it's uh, not like yeah. there's lots of space or anything. Yeah. And everybody's on a different schedule and yeah. all the craziness. But I know you know craziness. So. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I still remember our first discussion in, I forget where what restaurant it was in Dallas, where we were talking about one thing and then we ended up talking about kids and it was just like trauma bonding. <laughs> I know, I know. We were in bodies Fox. over there. Yeah, that's off right. Off of 75 and yeah. Knox, right? And uh, I do uh-huh. remember. I was like, <laughs> dang. <laughs> right? Just, never yeah. mind the, you know. Whatever the discussion the was supposed to be about. <laughs> I, I don't even know what it was supposed to be about, but, but it um, I was, yeah, we were, it was great. John just walked in, but... You, you, you could be the live audience. <laughs> Can I sit in the chair? <laughs> oh, is there coffee? Aww. There is coffee. Hello. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Is that the change the channel in case I don't like what she's saying? No, that's the volume. Oh. So, yeah. Did you already record the podcast? Yeah. Is it over? <laughs> Did I miss it? <laughs> it was awesome. It was good. Oh, look at this. I know. We have a we put in a new bookstore in the church and uh the that hospitality nice. folks got a a new coffee machine that they're just totally geeked up about. And so we've got a lampshade that provides coffee and then these folks always bring by crazy things uh so this is from downstairs yeah it is nice yeah 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 well lisa today's just really going to be a conversation um with with you like i said on the email and it's really i mean you'll um John is really an introvert. I'm just going to sit here and drink coffee while you two have smart conversations. John's an introvert and won't say much. And is so trying to pull him out of his shell and to kind of just, you know, talk with folks. You can is talk really... Wesley and Bart and <laughs> Tillich and I'll talk chickies and duckies and no, puppies. And organizational theory. This is why you and uh, Lisa Greenwood will get along well. Actually, because Lisa spans both of those worlds, right? I mean, so as, as we begin, I just, I, first of all, I just want to say thanks for being here and um uh, number one i've gotten to know you kind of at the tmf and at the umdf and for the last i don't know five or so years have just been impressed by um just your insight your ability to convene folks and have these really rich conversations that often happen on the edge of where the church is attempting to grow or attempting to make meaning um and that's not always growth isn't always the dynamic but is always kind of asking the question of what's happening and what are the next steps to move in fidelity towards what the spirit's calling us to and so number one i've learned a ton from you um uh, on um many levels and just uh, want to say thanks for being here and I, I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at the TMF and the UMDF and what's kind of given you life right now yeah so it is really good to be here and I uh, have loved our um, relationship Matt along mm. the years along the way um, 
getting to know each other and and just watching the way that you move through relationships and connecting people and those um, unlikely kinships that have made such a difference in my life too. Mm-hmm. So thank you for asking me. It's really good to be here. And and um, John and Matt both, just watching you all and Chapelwood really um, live into your mission is awe-inspiring. So, mm-hmm. um, so really fun to be with y'all. Thank you for asking me. It's a real, real treat. Yeah, yeah. So let's see, I'm, I'm uh, coming to you from Dallas. I live in Dallas and I grew up here and um, went uh, to University of Texas, Austin and went to uh, Yale Divinity School and then came back to the North Texas Conference and served in churches for about 20 years. And um, the last part of that time, I was also consulting with Horizon Stewardship Company. And hmm. I'm condensing a lot of years and a lot of personal life and ministry, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> but let me say that um, there was um, a season where I was getting to work with churches on um, the generosity side of things. And it it changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, I deepened my own discipleship. And I would always say that when we would do a capital campaign, which honestly, I would never have thought would have brought me such um, joy and sort of a conversion experience as it did, really, if anyone had asked me. <laughs> but. Um, but what I found is, um, you know, I did youth ministry for a lot of years. And in youth ministry, you could do more in one week on a mission trip um, yeah. or at camp than yeah. you could do the whole year, yeah. right, in Sunday school or MYF. And that's what I experienced when I got to work with churches for a condensed amount mm-hmm. of time over, um, you know, mm-hmm. particularly raising funds that would um, that would make their dreams, living into their God-sized dreams, a reality. And and uh, and so it, it really, what I found is that I was doing discipleship work, right? I was helping them um, lean into uh, what it was that God was asking of them. And and I was having a lot of fun in ministry. And and um, in the in the midst of those years of ministry, um, not just with Horizons, but in my local church ministry, I got to know Tom Locke and Jim Turley and the work that, that was happening through the Texas Methodist Foundation and saw the ways that they were coming alongside pastors in their work and saw the ways that they were coming along congregations and helping them live into their mission. And I loved that. And I remember being really at a point in my uh, my adult life and in my ministry where I was just the happiest and most content and fulfilled that I had been. And, um, and I couldn't imagine a job that I would want more in ministry except for Jim Turley's job, right? <laughs> and, um, but Jim Turley already had that job and he was so phenomenal at it. And, um, anyway, um, it, it turned out that Jim was headed toward uh, retiring and they invited me to come on and be on the team and to, mm. to learn about what they were doing. And, and, um, and that really, um, this whole journey, these last nine years with the Texas Methodist Foundation, and now with what we call the Wesleyan Investive, right? That's right. UMDF or United Methodist Development Fund is renamed to the Wesleyan Investive, and and getting to do this work in leadership ministry um, has been incredible. Mm. Uh, um, and I can say more about that, but I mean that's just a little bit of a journey of how I got here. Probably entirely too long-winded. <laughs> no, long-winded's good. Especially on a podcast where dead air is not, it's kind of frowned upon by the producer. Right. Hey, so tell me, what are you, what are you experiencing over the last year and a half mm-hmm. that seems to, to you to be radically different than maybe things you experienced before? I think we all were, you know, kind of in a rhythm or a routine, or maybe we took things for granted or fill in the blank. And, uh, but for not just for church leaders, but for people who are in churches who may not even have an understanding behind the curtain. What are you hearing or sensing or experiencing that churches are dealing with and leaders are dealing with that's very different now than it was before March of 2020? Right. So here's what I would say, and I know you've heard this from others, that it's not so much that it's different as much as it is accelerated you know, in terms of the level of 
and the, the rate of change is accelerated. And I would say the things that were that felt around the corner, if you will, for the church are screaming at us right now. And that has to do with our relevancy. It has to do with our, with our um, methodology. You know, we've been about gathering. We've spent so much energy getting people into one room for an hour. Um, and we haven't always paid attention to how folks are being formed mm. and how folks are growing in their relationship with God through Christ, how how the church is connected to the community. And um, I feel like even as I'm saying these sweeping generalizations that I'm talking to Chapelwood United Methodist Church that I, I would say doesn't fit um, into some of those sweeping generalizations in quite the same way that um, that some other churches have. You guys have been engaged with your community in creative ways for um, generations. Um, but that said, I think I think in general, um, the the church is is meeting this culture that is no longer pushing people toward the church, but is pulling people away from the church. And that has been true for decades. But in the last 18 months, it is just um, it's 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 this tidal wave washing over us that we can no longer ignore. Hmm. Um, and so we have to think about our identity and our purpose in a in a whole new way. Hmm. Hmm. That's really good. It's been interesting as we talk about some of that as well, um, and even thinking about like the creation of new church services or whatever what what I, at least i think we're finding here is that people are really desiring to have kind of connection and community not just services yeah. you know and so some of that right. has shifted even my focus towards kind of small batch ways of connecting people that are having like right. like profound dividends in ways i wasn't expecting Right. You know, yeah. like just kind of roadways in the desert kind of stuff that Isaiah talks about. And so um, yeah. and so and and almost and I hear I think you've talked about this. I know that Bishop Huey has. I know that, you know, John continues to encourage our community to look at things that we might not um, notice otherwise. Right. It's a new set right. of spiritual practices uh, are needing to be developed so that we can see with new eyes things we couldn't see before. You know, um, yeah. and where yeah. where are some of those things that you're noticing or what are some of the the, the ways that that um, right that emerges? Right. So um, so one of the big things then that you've heard me talk about uh, a lot is this mixed ecology mm -hmm. of the church. And mm. um, and and let me say that we use the image of the ecosystem a lot. Oh, there's it's just you know rich soil if you will <laughs> for um, for imagery and metaphor and very um, margaret and so we think about yeah yeah yes uh, and and we draw on her a lot right <laughs> so uh, so um so if you think about mixed ecology we have for a long time in the church put all our eggs in the basket of the inherited attractional model church if you build it, it will come kind of church growth. And um, and I'm not suggesting that we abandon that, but I'm saying that um, that we need biodiversity in the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if you think about biodiversity, um, they say it's the infrastructure that supports all life, right? You need this biodiversity and, and a loss of biodiversity has been called the silent killer. And that by the time you mm -hmm. feel what's happening, it may be too late, right? Okay, so I think that describes where we are in the church because we have um, put all our eggs in sort of one, um species and that's the attractional model church 
okay, so now what's emerging are these small batch, if you will, even within the church, you know, kind of more missionally minded, more thinking about how we connecting with the community, how we bringing people into relationship with each other and doing that in all kinds of ways, online and in-house churches. And, um, and then we also have some that are not connected, particularly with congregations, but they're popping up in coffee houses and in breweries and in laundromats and again, online and all those sorts of things, right? And that we actually need this this um, mixed ecology, this biodiversity to be the witness that the church is called to be. Um, but we have equated the body of Christ, the church, with attractional model uh, congregations, when in fact the body of Christ, the church, Yes, we want those congregations, and there are lots of expressions of ways to be the church that bring people into relationship with one another and with God that we need to nurture right now, especially in this in this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I think that, that it's hard to give that model up for some churches. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that I would define most mainline. United Methodist congregations is attractional. <laughs> I think the oh, ouch. I think the, the statistics kind of uh, speak otherwise. We're not really doing a good uh-huh. job attracting, uh, but I have noticed that there are a lot of congregations here in Houston or other big cities. You see a lot of them that are really based around that model, and it's almost like they're doubling down coming out of the pandemic. Hmm. Um, because it's all they know, it's all they're built around. So there isn't, they don't have history. You know, one of the things I've been reading this book on truth that we're going to talk about another time, but it says when you lose your sense of history, you lose truth. Um, and you start to just deal with sort of emotive stuff. It's all what you feel. And this is what you see in society now. It's like, it's all data driven. So facts are gone. Now we just, we pull things, you know, we, and then you have to sort of layer some assumption on that, but it's all rooted in how I feel about something. So whether it's politics or race or vaccines or masks or whatever it is, it's like, what do I feel rather than a, mm-hmm. a collective historical way of thinking about what we do? And it becomes very um, individualized. But I've noticed that coming out of the pandemic, there's almost a, a doubling down in certain elements of Christianity around hmm. Christian nationalism or, hmm. or attractional, you know, big box type churches. And I don't know that they know any other, any other language or way to be. Yeah. Um, And I think that's the hard part for a church that wants to pay attention to history, wants to listen, wants to learn, wants to tap into wisdom and is willing to be uh, uh, lead like Moses. You know, we're leading, but we know we're not perfect. Um, But there's something about society where I think that's going to be attractional to people, but I don't know that it is yet. Hmm. We're in yeah. a we're yeah. in a, so, in a between already period. not not yet. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the, I yeah. think that yeah. what the I think what good churches are doing is going to it's like anything in in organizational cultures or, or system series a delay in the system right. So there's a delay in in the in the logistical network of thing, and we're in the delay, and we think we don't see the results, and so huh. we try something else instead of sticking with yeah. what we feel strongly is who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you said some really important things in there, John, because uh, one thing is when when we don't know what to do, we do what we already know how to do, hmm. right? And and so right now we don't know what to do. I mean, we're in a season we've never seen before, and uh, dramatically so. And so we double down on what we already know how to do, and that gets us stuck in that kind of treadmill of working harder at what we've already done instead of expanding our imagination and and you know asking a new question or doing something in a in a different way and and that feels really important right now for for leaders to be thinking what um to to change the question to really think about who we are who we've been who we are and who we're called to be so that we can um not necessarily do what we've always done but but be immediate and responsive in our context mm. and and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah the, um, the other side of that is, you know, you only learn one of two ways. You either learn by 
imitating some other model that's out there, imitation that works or trial and error. And I think forever before the pandemic, we were always imitating. We were finding yeah. a model that was successful, like North Point, you know, in Atlanta. For 1999, or, you or can. Or 12 Stone in Atlanta, <laughs> or, you know, you pick out, you know, water, right. Watermark yeah. in Austin, whatever these churches Willow are. Creek. Yeah, you find these churches and you go, oh, we have to do it exactly like them. It's a methodological sort of, yeah. whatever happened there mm-hmm. in the suburbs of Chicago will fit in Adel, <laughs> Georgia, you know, where there's <laughs> 550 people right it doesn't work that way but so the imitation but we always we did that we did it so it's like when contemporary worship was big every church had to have a contemporary worship service but what i'm finding now is that there are no models to imitate because as i tell people when they call me you know venting about whatever it is i'm like you know i didn't get the playbook for pandemic um, I didn't right. get, I didn't get right. this playbook. So I don't, I don't, I know as much as you do, which is nothing about. So it's, to me, it's when you go down back to values, right? You have to sort of have identity yes. and you have to have values mm-hmm. and you have to double down on those aspects of like, what are your, what's your charism? Mm-hmm. Who are you in this moment? Right. How do you like yeah. vocation? It's just this, it's, it's like the, the Israelites or the Hebrews in Babylon. And God says, right. build your houses there, work your jobs there, yeah, yeah. raise your families there, yeah. be where you are, be planted and just be there and be faithful in that moment. That's what I think is the trial and error moment that we're in is we're, we're learning yeah. how to be community in that's the midst right. of a Babylon yeah. of some type. Yeah, that's right. And in, in, yeah. that, in that place, yeah. that's where I think like folks like TMF, um, the Wesley Investive other other i'm sure there's other organizations too but are creating spaces to hold for for the church to in some ways kind of breathe through its own panic attack you know because collectively <laughs> it feels like we're denominationally and religiously we're in this panic attack you know and yeah. um and what we have to do is i think to go back to the practices that root us in where we're to be because i think john yes. i think john's right in that all theology ends up being contextual theology, right? Because of the incarnation, there's a thousand different ways we can cut that up. But because Jesus shows up right. in flesh in a particular place, we show up in flesh in a particular place. That's why Zondervanding of whatever doesn't work always. It's a quick fix, <laughs> but I have to exegete this zip code and my own life right. and the context of relationships yeah. I'm in. And that's what God does to move. Or that's the stuff that God has, right? Well, and one of the things that talk about, Lisa, some things that TMF does, I know, yeah. like Melissa Mayer is in a cohort group that I believe yeah. is a TMF yeah. group. Yeah. And it's like it innovative, cutting edge, like, yeah. let's like, get out here. Like, I mean, I don't even know what's made up of the group. I know Mercy Street, which is a Chapelwood community, but talk a little bit about like things that happen yeah. in those types of think tanks. I don't know which, how you phrase them, but TMF does these groups where uh, trial and error can be embraced and lifted up, right? Yeah. Right, right, that's the hope. And I love the way you put that, Matt, that you know we're really trying to help leaders, congregations, organizations, but leaders especially, take a, a, a deep breath, like any of us would do in a moment of panic, right? That to stop, put both feet on the ground, take a deep breath, remember who you are, Right. And that's part of what we're trying to do with leaders, Um, not in a way that tells them that that where they exit their work, but actually where they're more present to it. Right. Where they're paying attention to what's happening in their context, where they're paying attention, as you said, John, to their own charisms, um, to the charisms of their organization and how to meet this context in this moment. So. So the groups that we gather of leaders, and let me say that, you know, we're intentional about gathering leaders who we believe are in a position to leverage change. Um, Hmm. And that's in their own organizations, but also larger change in the system. And because that starts locally and and that we um, have exceptional facilitators and we give them uh, space, uh, retreats, that kind of thing for them to, for them to listen, learn, be with their peers, um, ask hard questions. So it's not intended to be um, 
you know, instructional skills based or prescriptive in any way. It, it really is intended for them to have a lot of agency over their time and their what they need. And um, we we lean into learning journeys. In other words, they might go immerse themselves in a community where they're learning from um, artists or uh civic leaders or that sort of thing, um, as well as church-related folks um, who are doing amazing things and help them think outside the box. So, you know, to use adaptive leadership language, Heifetz and Linsky and such, um, we're trying to give them balcony space where they can get outside of the sort of urgent immediate space of the dance floor and kind of see the big picture and think about, you know, what what their world is like, what is needed, um, care for their own soul, um, but also uh, be really present to to what God is asking of them. Mm. Huh. What are you learning from those spaces and what are you seeing? Are there things that are kind of connecting the dots or threads that run through that that you're learning from? Yeah, yeah. So the best things that I hear from leaders who are in those groups are things like, I think I might've left ministry hmm. if I hadn't been in this group at a place that reminded me of what God is doing in and through me and and um, and that I'm not alone in this. Um, or when I hear things like, um, I have more courage in my work every day because I've been in this group and I've expanded my imagination, but I also know there are others who are who are also wrestling with, you know, yeah. questions and identity and purpose. And um, it, I so I'm more courageous. Um, I we're also seeing what I know you all are seeing, too, that um, a liminal season like we're in where everything's uncertain not just some things but everything feels uncertain this liminal season is exhausting hmm. it's exhausting to every, yeah. like our best leaders who are still excited about ministry and still finding ways to be creative are exhausted because their family layers and their yeah work layers and you know everything that's happening in the culture it's exhausting and um so we're we also try to create space that doesn't feel exhausting you know that feels life-giving um so that there's a sense of getting i don't know renewed for the work because the work is so valuable so mm. important as we help people connect with love and grace and mercy and justice and hope and joy, mm. you know? Mm. Mm. Well, I, I'm interested in, in what these groups do. I'm in a TMF group that now we've been on hiatus for a while, uh, some large church pastors. And it's funny yeah. how it, it, we pinged up recently to, to have a Zoom call just to kind of reconnect. But it's been hard when you, you have those groups and you meet two or three times a year and then you don't meet at all uh, in the yeah. time when you really do need to meet and need to kind of figure out, hey, well, how are you handling this? What are you all doing? Mm. And you know, it's comforting in some ways to know that they don't have any better idea how to handle things than you do. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's discouraging because like no one has the answer, but it's very encouraging because it's like we are of one we are of one purpose here, we're yeah. of one mind. We are the same people. We're all struggling with this mm. and we don't know what the answer is yeah and um so i'm i'm interested though like in i know in melissa's group they, that group unlike ours which is a support group an affinity group around large church pastors we have executive pastor groups and then this group is really doing innovative stuff like new ministry things that are sort of connecting in ways that um you know maybe the church hasn't done before and are you are you seeing or sensing anything coming out of this that speaks to what the church may look like in the future or some mm. characteristics or attributes that that may uh, scare somebody or cause somebody to be uncomfortable? Uh, or or what, what are you seeing and sensing that mm. might be like over the horizon next for 
some of these people right. in these groups or for churches in general? Yeah, yeah. Well, so you're speaking directly to this mixed ecology piece and, and where we're intentionally investing both with TMF and the Wesleyan Investive. And, and that is to say that, you know, in the mixed ecology, we think the congregational models need to continue to be as strong as they can be. And we're going to continue to put resources into um, congregations. And we think that in this mixed ecology, there, there need to be some non-traditional congregations and some non-traditional faith communities and even some faith-based nonprofits that are doing disciple-making work. And, and so this group that Melissa's in particularly is what we call an edge leaders group, right? And I'm using air quotes because, <laughs> um, you know, how do you define center and edge? Well, part of what we're doing is we're investing in leaders who find themselves on the edge of the inside. In other words, all these leaders are deeply committed to the work of the church, but some find themselves, but all of them are also deeply committed to innovation and, and have kind of an entrepreneur spirit in them. Um, some are serving local churches and living out that kind of innovation and even a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit from a local church place. And these are our center leaders. And largely they're pastoring local churches. Then we have a group of edge leaders and they are folks that are a little, they're also edge of the inside, but they're a little further on the edge of the inside. And so they're doing some of these creative ministries like Melissa, where, um, you know, she is pastoring a faith community, um, but it it's certainly on the edges of um you know your not what you would call your traditional congregation and and her whole group is made up that way so they are what we find is that the system itself and i mean the system of the denomination or seminaries and that kind of infrastructure that exists um tends to to have a lot in place to support folks who lead from the center um, but less to support folks who are on leading in edge spaces, right? And so, um, so we're really uh, trying to create some space where they feel supported. Um, we're investing in them so that they have peer group and facilitation, and they're going on these learning journeys. And we're, you know, putting connecting them with, you know, human centered design tools and with some, you know, other kind of learnings out there. Their needs are very different from center. They're 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 raising funds differently, and they're engaging their communities very differently. And so, really trying to give them. Um, space to be encouraged and supported, mm -hmm. but also to have access to some tools that they might not otherwise have access to. That's great. I don't know, is that helpful? Yeah, totally. One of the things I've loved about TMF is that language that 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 y'all use in terms of center edge, because I, I've realized too that there's, um, y'all are creating, like John had said, like these communities of people that are, it's a, it's a new network of relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things I've learned in this place is that the center and the edge um, can often coexist, right? And it's, it's often mm -hmm. best to, in terms of the mixed ecology that you talk about, to have a church that is concentrating on the center, but also has deep investment to people that are living on the edge right and so that those yes. there's a there's a an iterative kind of communication that goes back and forth and the the center is not trying to house train the folks on the edge and the folks on the edge aren't saying y'all just don't get it you know like a bunch of adolescents yeah. maybe but there's like oh wait what are yeah. you seeing in these places and how does that binocular seeing affect the way that we collectively understand what we're doing yes. in this world and y'all have done i yes. think a superb job at that well i appreciate that and what i want to say is that you all have done an amazing job at it at chapelwood i mean you really are a glimpse of a mixed ecology under this sort of umbrella of chapelwood mm -hmm. i mean and and you own up to the fact that it's not like everything has worked perfectly. You know, you're like, okay, well, we tried this. Okay, well, that's not, you know, we're oh, we, not going to stick with that. We have a couple of that, monumental but... failures. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we, you can lift up this case. Well, you can glory smell be. the burning in the back. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's the way it ought to be, right? Um, I think we we all too often want it all to be perfect, and then we just you know double yeah. down, as you say, right. into something that really needs to be uh, just let go of, yeah. and let's just learn from that and move uh, on. And um, and you guys, I mean, really, you're doing um, some amazing work that that I think exemplifies that mixed ecology. Well, I say monumental failures. I kind of say that jokingly. I mean, anything, you, it, it's like you go back to how do you learn things? And you mm-hmm. know, people always talk about failure. You know, the learning also happens when you either have a match or a mismatch huh. in what you intend to have happen. And so I always define yeah. effectiveness. You know, for a long time in our denomination, we're like, well, we got to define effectiveness. Effectiveness is easy to define. It's just can you do what you say you can do? And if you can't do what you yeah. say you can do, do you understand why you didn't do it? <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And so everything doesn't always work out. But I, I think yeah. uh, the church in America, at least since I've been a pastor for almost 30, well, 30 years now, is you can never talk about failure. So in, in our denomination, for example, and I'm sure it's like this in others as well, is like when you get together, you have to talk about how many more people I had and how many more things I'm doing and how great it is and how wonderful. I mean, you never go to a Methodist denomination or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Lutheran meeting and go, man, it really sucks right now. I'm just, I'm sucking wind. I've, it's horrible. I don't know, you know, <laughs> they, don't, they don't talk that way. It always has to be like the rah-rah, the one-upper. Right. And so I think that's what puts us in a position now. Yeah. If you're not a church that has been really willing to embrace trial and error and willing to embrace the error, the, the failure. Yeah. What would be a failure for us though is not a failure. We started a worship community in East downtown, um, you know, with the best of intentions and now they're an Episcopalian congregation. Now that might be a failure for what we intended it to be but I don't think in the kingdom of God, it's a failure at all. I think it's actually a success, but it's something we tried and we put money into and we lost it, right? It's gone. And so I think the way you evaluate success and failure is important. And I don't know that we've done a good job, not only in the churches, but teaching our people Mm. to understand how that works. Chapelwood has Mm -hmm. always been a place that's willing to take risks and I think, in, you know, culturally as one of your values as an organization, if you're not willing to take risks and fail, um, then it's not really trial and error because you don't <laughs> believe in error. I mean, how, how do you really try something scary if you refuse to fail? Fail, right. Right. Yeah. Not well. That's a good. Right. That's a question. I'm asking. I, I, I'm, I don't I'm, know I'm, I'm, si- I'm, I'm sitting on You're that. Sitting here looking at me, and I'm asking I, you a yeah, question. You it's can't. not rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> it you felt have rhetorical. to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to, to fail. I mean, look at all of the great stories of transformation. There's some oh. failure there of where that, like, and you were talking earlier about grounding you in that moment. Yeah. Well, and I also think that's a that it's it's starting to help us understand that what we have called faith has been much more rooted in certainty, right? And if another word for faith is risk, I have to risk forward into a path that mm-hmm. I do not know where it will go. Then um, I, I, I'm not as if, you know, I'm saying to God, hold my beer, watch this. You know, it's more, mm-hmm. oh, dear God, every step of the way, it's the Merton prayer. I don't mm-hmm. know the way that I'm going or even if it's the right way. All I know is that my desire is to please you. And I hope that is enough, yeah. you know. And I think that's yeah. the way of, yeah. you know, of risk and faith that, that the church is being summoned to. And those that, those that do that, I don't know where that takes us, but it takes us to an edge that I think there's a smell of beauty and joy and friendship yes. and, you know, yes. it's all that stuff. Or we stay, I think, in the right. first half of life, <laughs> spiritually. You know? So anyway. <laughs> right. That, and we will stay there if, if we um, don't lean into those places of yeah. risk and faith and, yeah. and, and such. And then, so then I think it's, it's up to us, all of us, um, but I think particularly um, some of us who have a perspective from the outside or in the edge of the church a little bit, like TMF, like the Wesleyan Investive, um, to pay attention to where it's happening and where it's happening well and to shine a light on it and to help 
some of these leaders who are doing this to um, to find each other, right? I mean, I think there's real uh, there's a real gift and a power in in knowing that you're not alone as you're stepping way out into this um, unknown and and trying these risky things. And so, um, so it, it feels right now this season i feel an urgency about really paying attention to those leaders who are stepping out and and doing um and taking risks and stepping out in faith and and to connect and to pay attention and connect them with each other and and offer support and that feels um really important for right now that's beautiful hey so i'm pivoting do you do you get a sense on it tmf y'all work with a lot of pastors um are, do you get a sense that uh pastoral ministry i mean people are bailing or are leaving or um departing did she freeze she did Oh, no. But that was a good face to freeze on. That was, that was, oh, you there know she what? is. There she is. She's oh, back. she's back. Yeah, you froze uh, up. Yeah. No, I was like, but you know what? It was really yeah. good because the face you froze on was great. Was Sometimes I freeze like this, like. <laughs> I thought it might be because I was like, I think I'm frozen. So I was afraid it was going to be like. <laughs> hey, this is, a, this is the Zoom life we live now. That's I think right. everybody's used to it. Mm-hmm. At least you had your sound on. So, yeah. no, I was just asking about. Uh, pastoral ministry do you find pastors just giving up on ministry these days i mean tmf you work with a lot of pastors or just just the morale of pastors um what's the take you you experience yeah yeah actually we um we were just talking about that in our team meeting um that you know early in the pandemic we got connected and um I can't remember right at the moment what the guy's name, but talking about sort of those phases of of trauma and 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 Bishop Huey saying uh, she learned after um, I guess maybe it was one of the hurricanes in Houston or something when she was bishop there um, that that uh, y- you can expect after a, a great trauma and this was thinking about nonprofit work or whatever, Mm -hmm. that half of the initial um, kind of workers and leaders in in, um, kind of trauma recovery work in the nonprofit sector would leave, right? And, and, And just offered that as an image for, you know, even the church and then so we were thinking about that in the pandemic and we're thinking half, oh my gosh, you know, and I don't think it's been half, but I can tell you over and over and over again, we're hearing from leaders and these are exceptional leaders um, in the center, as well as on the edge who are really questioning how long they can do this. Hmm. And, and and yes, I think it's directly about the pandemic and how hard this is, but it's more than that. It's yeah. about this season that we're in. It's about mm-hmm. um, it's about how polarized our culture is and how hard it is to be the church in this season. Yeah. And and so every time they show up and even make a prophetic stance how polarizing that is in the church and how they get it from both sides, right? And how exhausting that is. Um, and and folks just saying, God, there are ways I can serve God and and live into that calling and not have to put up with this. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I also think the, what we've been talking about this whole time about the, the church facing its own crisis of relevancy in a culture that so needs love and grace and mercy and justice and hope and and on and and if you signed up for that and what you're doing is figuring out what to do with your building that feels increasingly irrelevant and what to do with a congregation that's not even you know <laughs> dialed in if you will and that it's just exhausting I, so. I'd take it a step further. It's like there's the practical sort of things you do in ministry, like trying to pay the bills and keep the building up. The bigger existential or theological uh, 
I don't know what the word to, to just crit, critical inflection moment is like you say, we teach Christian faith around love and grace and gentleness and kindness and self-control and, and around truth. The problem is that a lot of Christians in the United States now, Christians in our own pews, have chosen power over truth, political power. Yeah. Yep. So they're trying to yeah. fix the wrongs that they see <laughs> uh, by leveraging power and wealth over truth. And this is why you see, I think, so many Christians behaving badly. And I think that's the bigger issue for me personally, is like, I've been preaching the gospel for this long, and, and it, we're actually moving in the wrong direction <laughs> in yeah. what it is that Christians are putting their trust in. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, and so the battles, but Christian between Christian is even worse. Yeah. We have division yes. among division among division, and we don't even agree right. uh, uh, what it, uh, of, of what the things are that we value anymore. Yeah. That's the biggest right. issue. So it's not yeah. this pandemic has forced uh, disconnectedness. We don't communicate, yes. and when we don't communicate, we don't have communion, and it just all kind of goes to pot. That sounds yeah. really hopeful, didn't it? Yeah. That was really hopeful right, right there. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> So, no, something we I mean, can I all dance to, John. It is Thank you. Discouraging, <laughs> right? Right. So, so how do you sustain yourself, both of y'all? <laughs> Positively or negatively? <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't drink, so I. I you but know, I do a lot. I, have I do a, have a lot of other anxiety <laughs> resources <laughs> available to me that he doesn't have, but um, <laughs> and me that you don't have. That's <laughs> so true. Yeah, you, you do boot camp at five in the morning. I'm not doing that. No, I, I think mm -hmm. uh, I think that really is, um, I think at different levels for pa for pastors or people in ministry, or you just Christians, yeah. I don't even care if you are a pastor, mm -hmm. the, the, the feeling of anger, we were talking about mm -hmm. this before, is that, you know, anger and fear, I think it was Hilliker who was telling us, yeah. anger and fear cannot exist in the same space. And people are afraid, and everyone's mm -hmm. afraid. Who are afraid of of all these different factors yes. that we face in society, and because we're disconnected, the pandemic did what the pandemic did, as you said, it made things come faster. It disconnected us, it unplugged yeah. everybody, uh, or it plugged us into things that were not healthy for us. So we got more plugged into social <laughs> media, less plugged into relationships, yes. looking at each other in the eye. Matt and I have experienced this lately, where we're having to do a lot more meetings now with people sitting down across the table with coffee looking at each other in the eye over all these things that have been miscommunicated yes. or misunderstood or there's you know yeah. uh, assumptions made about just everything i mean you name it on the list of things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to try to to recapture communication and communion with one another so i think the pandemic has actually taken one of the tools of our arsenal which is community away from us and so when mm -hmm. you're not able to be together then how do you talk about complex and difficult issues? Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I think about, you're talking about center edge ministry. Jesus is center edge. That's why I always think of <laughs> Chapelwood as center edge um, because yeah. Jesus was center edge. <laughs> Jesus was right in the middle yeah. of the religious establishment and yet he was on the edge of it. He didn't forsake it, yeah. no. um, but he operated <laughs> on the edge of it, which was threatening both to the people on the outside and the inside. Yeah. And that's where I think churches are gonna have to find their space. If you're just trying to protect your building, and you're trying to hold on, you're trying to get back to yeah. normal, you're you know, screwed. you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah. I think. Right. Yeah. 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 So in, in terms of taking care of ourselves, I think that there's at least, you know, John and I have talked about this collectively and, and separately uh, on this stuff is that I think kind of spiritual direction is, is super important for us. I think having someone that we can confide in at a, uh, you know, at a, at a space where we can kind of just show up and just be our vulnerable selves is super important. I think um, having space to, to, um, um, to, to breathe. I had a, when, when I was cycling, I had a guy that I cycled with when we were going up the a hill said, now we have to be able to recover going up a hill and I had no idea what that meant until today 
you know, mm-hmm. realizing that we're going up a hill, but I have to find a place to recover while I'm still moving upward, you know, against, um, <laughs> against a force that I don't want to be there, right? And so some of that is learning how to draft off of each other. Some of that is learning how to, to right. drop back into all those kind of things that we have to do, you know. Um, but I, um, I, I, I think we have to double down on those things, you know. Um, right. <laughs> right. If I'm going to double down, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be on those things. So. Yeah, therapist helps. A therapist helps. Therapist Dear is good. Lord. Yeah. Spiritual yeah. director is good. Yeah. Taking more time for yourself is good. Saying no to things that you used to say yes to all the time. Yeah. I mean, right. um, you know, in ministry, you get asked to go and do everything. You know, say the invocation at this and be here for that and do this. And and you feel bad for mm. saying no, but it's like I'm coming out of the pandemic. There's some things I don't, I don't want to get back into a compulsion of yeah. attendance to right. things that yeah. not only don't give life, but don't really... They don't really align with the purpose uh, when you're talking about taking the right, right steps and making the right decision. And that sounds horrible because mm-hmm. then, you know, uh, Miss Sally's breakfast that she wants me to do the invocation, all of a sudden she thinks that somehow this is dismissive of her breakfast or her cause. It's not. Yeah. It's just there's only so many hours in a day. And John just invites me to go to that anyway. So I so, said, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> yes i really appreciate you um taking time to come and just share i mean we're we're real big fans of uh, the texas methodist foundation absolutely um you know if if 50 percent of the pastors end up leaving the ministry it's just in time for the united methodist church to split right so that's convenient timing (laughs) uh for all that to happen but tmf the texas methodist foundation has been a i think it's the biggest it's the biggest Methodist foundation in of all of them, isn't it? I know several, like Georgia, yes. Georgia has a Methodist foundation and others, but I think Texas is by far the biggest. Yeah. And the resources yeah. that you all uh, offer to churches through not only loans, but support, these groups that are offered, continuing education, grants. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I know Matt Russell's been on the ministries we've been a part of, have been a part of that. So I really appreciate the work that you do. And... Um, be praying for you and as you continue that work yeah yeah thanks so much lisa thank you thank you thank you have yeah, a, we appreciate you yeah. very much have a one hey tell tell bishop huey hey we like bishop huey yeah yeah, yeah i like her too yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's cool we'll she's do good people thanks so much hey, we bless love you. you yeah you bet thank you bye y'all bye bye well john that was a that was a great conversation with with Lisa Greenwood. She's a she's a gift um, to the church and what she's doing um, in life and in ministry. And it's just it's it's good to have these kind of conversations with folks. Um, hey, um, I noticed we were drinking some coffee during this podcast. Yes, I I downed mine early and you graduated <laughs> the doctor. These is this is from what lampshade lampshade and it's uh, um, brewed for us by our own Chapel United Methodist uh, coffee shop that we have hospitality team. These guys are great. We have all kinds of new fancy. What is this? I know, we've got we've got all sorts of things. So That's yeah, cool. yeah. So if uh, come check wow, out the coffee the coffee shop, it's a good place to get an excellent cup of coffee, and a book, and hang out. So we're doing a competition for uh, with a name. Oh, that's right. Oh, we have to come up with a name for the coffee shop. Yeah, the hospitality team wants to kind of have. Yeah, so if you have an idea for a name of the coffee shop, send it in. Yeah, yeah. We're not, and I suggested we not go with higher grounds. We kind of higher stay away grounds. from kind of. <laughs> kind of. That's like the, you know? my brother and I are going to be. We're going to do a barbecue competition. We're going to call it Holy Smokes. Yeah, Holy, <laughs> holy Smoke. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well. Go ahead. You, 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 lead, you, 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 do, you lead the out this time. Well, I'm Matt Russell. And I'm John Stevens. And this is Pod Have Mercy. I love the way you did. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Pod Have Mercy. Let's see if it lines up with it. Pod Have Mercy. Pod Have Mercy.